I've got good news and bad news, but I'll give you the bad news first. The world is more divided than, <laughs> well, than I think than ever before. Uh, we've got Arabs and Persians and, and Jews uh, fighting in the Middle East, uh, nation against nation all over the world. I'm um, even down to citizen against citizen, uh, globalist versus nationalist, Republican versus Democrat, right? The whole, the whole thing is just division. But the good news is that it seems to be the 5% on the extremes that are having the bad battle. Uh, but the bad news is the majority in the middle who want to get along with their neighbor are being incited to more division, more division, more division. Do you feel like you're in the middle? Rocks and missiles raining down from two sides. Uh, well, there's good news as well. The majority of Americans want to see a unified nation. Uh, and world peace is on the mind of most, not just beauty pageant participants. I want world peace, right? So... It's bad news or good news, however you look at this one, that God stands against unity that is not focused on his name, his kingdom, and his will. Think about that. The good news is, though, he has sent his spirit to indwell those who repent, to launch the new creation project, to tear down the walls of division between tribes, to take back the nation, to sum up all of creation in Jesus. But the bad news is that unity won't come through secular wisdom. So what I want to talk to you about today is, is that if the world cares more about unity than the church does, then we have a big problem. If, if they're willing to take the initiative to go after these problems in a godless way that will not work, that, that God stands opposed to, then we need to step into the fray empowered by the Spirit of God, and bring about His kingdom. Church, we dare not sit back and curse the darkness without shining a light. We've been given, all of us, mothers, fathers, sons, and daughters, we've all been given a prophetic voice to announce the kingdom of Jesus. He is king. To announce rescue and to display His way of doing things. Uh, doing right by people, which is righteousness, and making decisions that are just. We can seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We can then uphold the poor and the widow and the foreigner and the refugee and, and not neglect those who suffer. That's what I want to talk about. I'm going to read Acts chapter 2, 1 through 21 for you. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now let me hold and pause here. What's Pentecost? That's the 50th day after Passover. After seven sevens, uh, 49, then the, the 50th day is the Feast of Pentecost. And everybody's supposed to be there. And it became a celebration of the covenant, of the giving of the law. You know, Moses went up the mountain of God to his divine space and came down with the law written by the finger of God. And Jesus, then, now he goes up to the throne of God, and the Father sent the Spirit to write the law on our hearts. This Thursday, we celebrate Ascension Day, when Jesus goes to the throne. Okay, back to the text. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these that are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each one of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, Ah, they're filled with new wine. Right? New wine, the, it's too sweet. They, they've drunk too much just because it was tasted, tasted too sweet. And Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we've got this outpouring at Pentecost. Uh, this this filling of the Spirit, wind and fire, and, and you've got people coming together from all these different nations, all these different tongues, all these different uh, tribes coming together to hear the word of, the God, of God. And we see something happening cosmically in the last days that's bringing people together from all over the world under the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll let me, I would like to be your tour guide um, or through this passage, uh, through some key words and concepts that I think will help you get a better grip on what God intends to do to unify this world. I want to answer some questions for you. Maybe you have them. Uh, when did this world split apart in the first place? How did we get so divided? How did all these nations go astray? Why do we have so much conflict between nations? And what is God doing through his people? Would you let me do that? Let's just, I want to take you as a tour through some scripture, going back into the Hebrew scripture and just think through this, because I think that's what Luke intends us to be doing. So when did the world split apart in the first place? When did the peoples get all divided? Well, remember the nations were, were divorced by God and scattered. Up until Genesis chapter 10, uh, there, was, there was just the belief in the one creator God, and that was, that was just what it is. Uh, but then God divided them. And the word there is the same word for the divided tongues. And I think Luke means us to go there. You could say it with me. The word is diamarizo. <laughs> diamarizo. The divided tongues. And now, if we look back to where that word was used in the Hebrew scriptures, we find 
we find that Luke's probably asking us to go back here to this to this moment in history when everything got divided. Maybe you've guessed it already. Uh, but, but Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8 and 9 say this, using the word diamerizo. When the Most High, you surely you remember this, says Moses in this song, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, all the nations, when he diamerizoed or divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people. Okay, so he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. At that time, there were 70 nations, 70 peoples that have been described, and, and then they're cast out, they're divorced. But it says, but the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, who's later called Israel, his allotted heritage. Whoa. So remember back when, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance? When he divided the man, mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion, what he reserved for himself, was Jacob, or Israel, his allotted heritage. So, if you think about it, when did he divide the nations and fix the borders? Well, that was Genesis chapter 11, right? Uh, that's the Tower of Babylon, when he divided the languages. Right? And, and I hope you're seeing this, the, the divided tongues and the divided languages, the divided tongues of fire, which are languages, but not quite because it's a metaphor. And, and so we see the, the divided the language and dispersed the people to their own inheritance according to the number of the sons of God, meaning allotment. And then, and then Yahweh starts over in the next chapter with Abraham to produce Israel, his portion. And Genesis 11 is really pivotal in this. Um, and you can see it, the list of nations in, in just the chapter before, in chapter 10, that God separates people by tribe, territory, and tongue. The, the same word, glossi, that, that, uh, that we see in the New Testament for languages and tongues is, is back here. He divided them by tribe and territory and tongue and gave them an allotment um, according to the sons of God. Let me just read uh, Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9, where things all split apart. Now the whole earth had one tongue, one language, and the same words. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to uh, go throughout the world, multiply, subdue creation, and extend God's reign in his territory all around the world. But what do they do? They settle in one place, in the land of Shinar. And they said to one another, come, let's make bricks, a brand new technology, and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and, and bitumen for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its head in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And Yahweh said, Behold, they're one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they'll do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, he says to his council. Come, let's go down and... And there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. Confuse. That's another word, confuse. Uh, that's a word that Luke uses, synkeo. Confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. 
and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel or Babylon, because there the Lord confused their language, the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. So that's where division happened. It was actually God's intention to divide and start over. Why did he divide them? Well, they developed new technology. That's not so bad. But they didn't disperse like he was to like he told them to do and fill the earth and multiply. They had their heads in the sky. They wanted to build a temple so that they could take God and control him. Sound familiar? That's, uh, that's what a lot of humanity has done. They wanted to settle in one place instead of spreading God's name far and wide across the earth. They wanted to make a name for themselves, the city of man, uh, Babylon, and instead of the city of God, uh, which would be later in Jerusalem, right? Babylon then becomes a biblical nickname. Think of it that way, a, a nickname for any city that exalts itself what, or nation that exalts itself and thinks that it can determine what is right and wrong, what's good and bad, or will make up the rules. God opposes that and confuses bewilders their languages. That's the word that, that Luke uses in Acts chapter 2 too. He, he drives a, a wedge into their proposed unity without him. So there really is no unity without the unifier, and that is God through Jesus' son. In the next chapter, I mentioned Genesis chapter 12, God has a plan to bless all the nations. He hasn't forgotten about them. He wants to bring them all back. But through Abraham and Sarah, and then Isaac, and then through Jacob, who's later called Israel, his inheritance, his portion, through, through Israel, Yahweh would bring about his kingdom so that then all the nations would come back. And we see this happening. So he has divorced the nations, right? Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9, we just mentioned it. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided up mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So what he wants to do is now bring all the nations back. So who are the sons of God, right? And does your Bible say something a little differently? The, the better translation, the, the oldest and most original translation is the sons of God. And, and it is kind of what it sounds like. Think about it. It's a divine family. Spiritual beings with whom God rules the universe. Come around, gather around, we're going to rule the universe. This is how we do it. Now, they, now, he created them, but they are his divine family. Of course, he also wants a human family. And he dispersed them, he divorced those other nations, but he's starting over with, with another family. And that's the one you and I are invited into. So the sons of God are, are these divine family members, but how did all these nations go astray? Well, they were corrupted. They were, they were corrupted. They stopped worshiping the Creator. And, uh, and so, so if you're not worshiping Yahweh, the Creator, who are you going to worship? And they, they started worshiping the spiritual beings that were meant to govern them. So by allotment, this nation has this Son of God, this nation has this Son of God, this, this spiritual being, this spiritual being. And I don't have time to walk through all the passages like I would like, uh, but in Psalm 82, you could take a look at that and study that one up. This is where Yahweh takes his divine family to task for corrupting the nations, for actually drawing worship to themselves. In fact, even Israel is drawn to worship the heavenly beings, the sun, the moon, and the stars, instead of Yahweh. And those heavenly beings will surely come crashing down. 
in judgment. And Yahweh will make sure of it. And he does at the cross through the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, the coming of the Spirit, the, the sun will darken. Like in Egypt, you know, they worship the sun god. We darken that. And the heavenly bodies will be cast down. There's this cosmic judgment that takes place. And it starts right at the cross when the authorities were disarmed, when the rulers and, and territorial guardians were stripped of their rights. And Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? So something really pivotal happened on that day when, when Jesus was crowned king on the cross and then, and then ascended to the throne. Um, this is, this is a, a fascinating reversal of the Tower of Babel incident. And I, I believe Luke wants us to think of the coming of the Spirit as the way the reversal takes place. And so will God allow unity, secular unity, in any, any other way but then by His Spirit? No, he, he won't. If you look at Babylon and the nations that have taken on that same arrogant mindset, even currently, God is proven to be in opposition. He opposes the proud who want to make a name for themselves and says, no, my kingdom come, my will be done, my name be honored. And so think about it. Are we in Babylon? Are we in a Babylon? Well, it's, we're in a culture that encourage, encourages you to exalt yourself and make a name for yourself. And God is opposed to that. I like what Tom Wright says, God's response as always, to human pride and arrogance is to overturn the project and ridicule the people, which he accomplishes by confusing their languages so that they can't understand one another and cannot therefore work together on creating a human society which would have no need of the Creator God. If that's the project you're involved in, woe to you, uh, woe to us, if we are like Babylon, making a name for ourselves, uh, creating a society in which we don't need the Creator God. So my last question, what is God doing through his people? He has a divine family that was mostly corrupted. He's got a human family who he's trying to bring together into the image of Christ. So what's he doing? Well, he's still taking back the nations. That's what he's doing. He's bringing blessing to all the nations by his power. Why do we do world missions? Why do we care about Haiti so much? Why do we care about the Philippines so much? Why do you and, and I support missionaries in, in all sorts of other places? Why do we do that? Because he's taking back the nations by his power through his witnesses. Now, you know that word witness comes from the Greek word martyr. A martyr. And what do we think of a martyr? Someone who dies for the cause. Someone who gives up their life. Yeah. That's the kind of power he gives us. He gives us so much power that we can lay down our lives. That's the story that we're in. In fact, he's taking back the world. And, and Luke just layers it in here for you. Think about this. All of the nations, the place names, peoples, tongues, and tribes that are, are in, this, in the second chapter of Acts there, uh, he he actually maps that over all the Genesis chapter 10, all the table of nations. And there's this slow march to complete the list of all the nations in Genesis chapter 10 through the book of Acts. You'll see the names just pop up out of there. What's that from? It's actually because it's this taking back the nations moment. So that's what God is doing. And then that prophecy of Joel, wasn't that powerful where we're, 
or Peter links back to what God had been planning to do in those last days. God was going to do a new thing to shake an old world order and to create a new one, a new kingdom, a new social order, a, a new structuring of society, and a new creation by the Spirit. In this new creation, you've got slaves and, and free men and women, boys and girls, uh, black and white, all sorts of ethnicities empowered to speak the word of God in the real world. Did you know you're empowered to do that? If you have the Spirit, if you've repented and received the Spirit, and, and you, you honor Christ as King, you have the power to speak the Word of God in the real world. But what kind of power is this? I'll tell you this, church. It's not power over others, but power for others. It's it's power to witness, that word martyr, right? We give our lives as witnesses. Tom Wright says it's, it's the kind of power and like a wind, like a hurricane that, lets, that you let sweep through your life, your heart, your imagination, your powers of speech to transform you from a listless or lifeless believer into someone whose heart is on fire with the love of God. Isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't he the best king? Isn't he the rightful ruler of all the nations? Don't, don't the people that are stuck in, in sin and, and stuck in worship of other gods, don't they deserve to hear the life-saving message of Jesus Christ? Could, could you be one who, who empowers that, uh, who, who's an empowered witness by the Spirit to bring that love of God on? Luke is, is clearly showing this, this move of the Spirit like a fleet of ships with their sails up, launched by a strong wind that drives them out to sea. Have you hoisted the sails? Are you ready to catch that wind? Tom Wright says this. He intends to, to explain, this is Luke, how it was that a small group of frightened and puzzled and largely uneducated men and women could so quickly become, as they undoubtedly did, a force to be reckoned with right across the known world. A people that would give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Not power over, but, but power for. Uh, last quote, Willie James Jennings says this, that th those that gathered in prayer asked for power. They may have asked for the Holy Spirit to come, but they didn't ask for this. This is real grace, a gift, untamed grace. It's the grace that replaces our fantasies of power over people with God's fantasy for desire for people. That's what his, his spirit is meant to do, to pour in us and through us and pour out the love through us. Application point, lift up the sails. <laughs> uh, spirit, flow through me. Give me a bold witness. Give me a word. Give me something to say to my neighbor, to my coworker, to my friend. Would you help me understand and paint the picture for a world in which Jesus is king? And I want to come back to where I started. Unity will not come through secular wisdom. Okay, we're going to fix the race problem like this, and we're going to fix the poverty problem like this, and we're going to fix the, the war problem like this. So if the world cares more about unity than the church, we have a big problem. If they're willing to take the initiative to go after all these problems in a godless way that will not work, 
we must step into the fray, empowered by the Spirit of God, and bring about his kingdom. You know, I'm having fascinating conversations with our city, and I'm able to, to pray into and pray over, and sometimes in some meetings, pray for those individuals to step into it. Yeah, they're doing social service stuff that, that is, has comes from a little different angle, but, but how can the church be a part of responding with the message of God and the unifying nature of the Spirit? Of God. Church, we dare not sit back and curse the darkness, like I said before, without shining a light. We have been given, all of us, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, a prophetic voice to announce the kingdom of Jesus. And isn't he an amazing king? To announce rescue and to display his way of doing right by people and making just decisions. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Uphold the poor, the widow, the foreigner, the refugee, and don't neglect those who suffer. Yeah, you've got lots of problems with the way that group, that government, that plan, that program. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, great, church. Now let's step in. Let's show what real rescue looks like in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.